It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. It's a great mix of national voices that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sandow, Mike Lombardi, the late, great Don Banks, or for The Athletic, too, and awesome local writers. In fact, one of my buddies, Harif Hassan, covers the Vikings, and I was just reading an awesome article that he wrote about this critical offseason for the Vikings. So if you're somebody that likes coverage of your own team, Great, plenty of that, but if you're somebody that likes coverage of other teams like I do, you can get tons of great writers that cover teams besides your own, and as I said, great national writers too. And here's the best part, not only do you get first-rate reporting, but you get all kinds of great analysis, advanced analytics, in-depth player profiles, and more, and it's completely ad-free, no clickbait, just great content. Pro sports, college sports, the athletic has it all. So if you're not subscribing yet, you're really missing out. Want to get in on the action? I got a great deal for you. Just for being a Play Like a Jet listener, you can go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and you'll get yourself 40% off a year subscription. 40%, that's a lot. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and get all of this fantastic sports coverage in the athletic for 40% off today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it's time for another edition of the Roundtable with a friend of mine who is soon to be a New York Times bestselling author. I know it in my heart. He's got another book coming out. He wrote the great book, Van Halen Rising. If you're a fan of hard rock or especially the band Van Halen, and if you're not, you're wrong. You should be. Van Halen rocks. You should read Van Halen Rising if you haven't already. But also, he's got a book out about the longtime producer for Van Halen's most successful records, Ted Templeman, who produced some of the greatest rock albums of all time and has a fantastic story to tell. That book is coming out in a couple of months, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, I want to talk about our shared passion for the New York Jets. Greg Renoff, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. It's been a while since we've chatted, so this is kind of cool because we get to tape a podcast and catch up because I know you've been so busy getting the finishing touches together for your book that we haven't had a chance to catch up in a while, so it's great to have you on. It's great to talk, Scott. I appreciate that kind introduction. Yeah, it's been a uh, a whirlwind last few uh, weeks and months for me just, yeah, just trying to to hurry up and finish the last bits of the book here. But yes, it does come out in April. It's going to be uh, fun. I will talk about that more in a minute. But yes, and uh, now we are on top of the combine and headed towards the draft. And all uh, all starts all over again, like it does every year, about uh, about this time with uh, things are going to start to get more and more uh, busy for uh, us as Jeff fans as all the information starts to really, really pile up and you want to keep, uh, keep abreast of it. And that's why I try to catch up with uh, as many of uh, 
the episodes they can of all the things across the whole network here. April and March, unfortunately, have been the two most fun for Jets fans for the last couple of years because of free agency and the draft since the Jets have not been good. You look forward to the draft every year. You look forward to free agency. And now you look at April, you've got the national championship. Of course, you've got the tournament coming up in March and then free agency in March as well. And then in April, in addition to the tournament, you've got the start of baseball. We've got your great new book coming out and then the NFL draft. So it's going to be a fun two-month period here for a Jets fan to look at this and say, okay, how will this roster be shaped going into 2020? But before we get to 2020, let's talk about 2019. Greg, you and I have been Jets fans for around the same length of time. Both long-suffering, die-hard Jets fans. Adam Gase, the brand-new head coach, is going into his second year. What did you think of his first year on the job here? I mean, I guess it, it, it was some ways, it was, it was almost like a dividing line down the middle. Now, I'm, I'm not a person who's, uh, who is a, uh, a Gase hater by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly when we were 1-7, or if I recall correctly, whatever it was, it was, it was, it was not a, uh, an easy thing to wake up in the morning going, I'm feeling really confident about the direction of the franchise with this guy coaching the team. Um, you know, on the other hand, they did finish up strong and were able to win a lot of games down the stretch. And so I think it's just now for me as a, as a, as a fan, I mean, just, I think the second year will tell a lot about, about where things are going to go with Gates. It's interesting. I, I spent a lot of time listening to Darnold um, do interviews. He's done a, a couple of them. He did the, he did the Mark Sanchez, podcast i hope a lot of people got a chance to listen to that it's also fourth and forever i think it's the show and it was it's uh, i'm always trying to listen between the the uh the words to hear if i can sense any doubt in uh, darnold's darnold's voice or anything it just seems to be he's either you know very convinced that that case is the right guy for him or he's, he's you know he's, he's very very adept at speaking in a way that makes it seem like if that's the uh, that's the case and so um the other thing i always think about the fact is that if uh if honestly if if darnold disliked Gase intensely I would have to believe that Gase would have been dismissed as the coach that's just you know whether that's true or not that's what I kind of believe in my gut so I'm hopeful that uh we're going to have a better a better go but I really really do hope that the resources that the team has to draft and free agency gets directed towards the offense and I think the one the one obvious bright spot about the Jets season regardless of what you think putting aside the um with Darnold's illness and some of the things we saw from him, which were really, really good. And then some things that weren't, weren't as good, but the really one thing that you would say beyond the quarterback is you sort of have hope for is that, that Greg Williams really showed that with, I mean, honestly, like a ragtag bunch of guys in some cases with guys who'd never even heard of before were making plays. And yeah, I'm really hopeful that the team is going to direct more resources towards offense through the draft and through a free agency and let Greg Williams continue to sort of work with what he's, you know, with the, with the hand he's dealt, not that he can sort of make a, uh, to make all pros out of nobodies, but he's certainly shown that he can take guys who are fringe players and make them competent guys who can actually make plays on the field. So that was, that was to me, was the most amazing thing about the season because I had, um, you know, no expectations that that was going to, when you started to see some of the big names go down on defense, it was just you know, Williamson and all these other guys. It was just a nightmare going through the, the roster, seeing all those guys drop out and have guys come in and make plays. It was really, it was pretty amazing, actually. I want to get back to Sam Darnold in a bit, but first, since you mentioned Greg Williams, let's talk about him. The consensus among Jets fans seems to be, and you just 
added fuel to this that Greg Williams did an outstanding job as a defensive coordinator and a lot of people feel like a big part of why the Jets were seven and nine is because Greg Williams did so much with relatively little when you consider the injuries and some of the holes in his unit as opposed to Gase in the offense which struggled a lot throughout the season is this how you feel yeah I mean I really I really do think that I, I I didn't have that kind of expectation I, uh, that that Williams was going to be able to pull something like that off. I mean, I, you know that in the past he had had some great some great years, but I, I think I think it's probably fair to say, and I'm not going to sit here and act as if I'm the biggest expert on Greg Williams' history, that he had some pretty mediocre years as defensive coordinator, and you know it has to be it has to rank up there with one of his best coaching jobs ever. And so I think at this point, I mean, I think it just I think it just makes sense to say that. You you know you you have to think that Williams can make that he has basically the the ear of the guys in the locker room and the guys who are going to return I believe in this guy and he's going to be able to continue doing that I mean I don't have any reason to think that's not going to um, happen again and so I'm I'm yeah I'm very confident and in fact I think it's I think it's actually it's uh, it's also by the way very refreshing to think about all the speculation that happened earlier last year when everyone was thinking about the the problems with the the coaching staff and some of the problems going back to Bounty Gate and the, the, the issues of whether or not that was going to be able to to survive the uh, with Gase's relation to uh, the Joe Vitt. Is that right? Am I remembering the right name correctly? With uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Am I remembering correctly that he's like, there's some sort of like family relationship there and that was kind of speculated that was going to be a, a disaster and that didn't seem to, that didn't seem to flare up at all. I mean, as far as, "Quote unquote leaks." There were a lot of leaks from the media about different things that, during the season about Le'Veon Bell and other people, but I never heard any sort of rumblings that there was this big, big problems within the coaching staff. So that was that was nice. Now let's get back to Darnold. The consensus seems to be, and this is something I agree with, that Sam Darnold improved from year one to year two, but not as much as we might have liked. He didn't quite make that leap. And while he was better, he also had a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows and needs to work on consistency. Where are you at in terms of your thoughts on where Darnold is now and what he can do to make that leap in year number three? Well, I mean, I think the thing for me that was most disappointing about Darnold, putting aside the un, you know the unexpected, um, obviously, with the illness, that was kind of, you can't really blame that on him, but with it, you know, there was there really was at the end of his rookie year that four year four game or so run, maybe best exemplified by the, that that uh, shootout he had with Aaron Rodgers in the Green Bay game that he just was making these throws that just made your eyes pop out of your head and you know I I would I, I just again this is sort of my overall sense of how having gone back and looked through it game by game I just didn't I didn't see that same sort of you know. Um, ascent upward that was so steady that it looked so obvious to, to us as fans at least that like Darnold was, was, uh, was trending way, way up at the end of his rookie year. Now, again, I'm not saying that Darnold isn't, isn't uh, the guy. And I have, I actually do have a lot of confidence that Darnold is going to be the franchise quarterback here, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, what would I say? It's, it's, it's not exactly the greatest endorsement of, of Gates that he was not able to sort of build that sort of um, consistency over the, over the course of the whole season. That said, I, you know, I also think it's kind of, I think maybe seems to be forgotten by a lot of people about mono is that I, I don't know what you, your recollection is this, but I would remember when people would get mono and they'd be gone for the whole half a year in, in high school. And, you know, I really wonder how much, how much when Darnold came back, 
you know, he really wasn't a hundred percent either that, that, and then also the psychological aspect of knowing that his spleen, spleen was, was, uh, affected. And I don't know that, that seemed to be, you know, something that maybe that was, uh, that illness beyond, uh, the first couple games where he, I'm sure he was not well until the games afterwards, where maybe it was in the back of his head that he didn't want to get hit or whatever. I don't know. It just, it seemed like that could have had a much more of a, he'll never admit it, but much more of a detrimental effect on him psychologically, maybe than maybe than we know. So it's, you know, it's just, it was just an unfortunate thing that ended up happening. I mean, there's obviously worse things you could think about. I mean, God forbid something, a joint or something else in these, any franchise level player like that, that didn't happen, but just, uh, you know, that was really a, a, just an unbelievably bad sequence of events with the injuries. And of course with Darnold getting sick was just it's like mind boggling. So, you know, um, you know, the year two, uh, with with Gase is going to really tell the tale. I mean, I don't know how many how many excuses there's going to be if it doesn't happen. I mean, if it doesn't work, um, they're going to have the right general manager. He's going to have the off season. He's going to presumably be pouring resources towards the offensive line and and trying to get a number a true number one wide receiver for uh, for Darnold. And if it doesn't end up showing up on the field, it's going to be kind of hard to explain what's going on one with the other. And I don't think when push comes to shove, that Gase is going to be the guy who's going to stick around if it doesn't. It's not working with Darnold. That's that's my personal take. If the Jets are going to improve in 2020, and if Sam Darnold is going to have the help that he needs, the man that's going to have to go ahead and get that job done is Joe Douglas, the general manager. He's heading into his first season as a general manager in charge of a draft and a free agency period. How confident are you in Joe Douglas right now? I am confident. You know, if, if nothing else, I'm confident because the man was an offensive lineman and has to be looking at the way the team has been built uh, over the last few years. You know, I, it's, it's a really shocking statistic to think about how, when you look at the drafts, how little resources McCagden directed towards the offensive line. I'm not trying to throw the guy under the bus and say he was the worst GM of all time or anything. And, you know, he obviously did some things that were, were good and he made some good moves, but that was clearly his belief that you could build through the scrap heap, low round guys, the, you know, the, uh, the Brandon shell types that you could sort of draft late and then turn into starters. It, it didn't work. I mean, I think, you know, maybe, it, maybe it has worked for other teams. It didn't work for the Jets. And when you think about the, the transformation of the Jets from 2009, 2010, when they had the best offensive line of the league and just an absolutely dominating uh, run game with, because of that offensive line and the ability to let Mark Sanchez uh, become an effective quarterback because he wasn't getting hit all the time to what we have now. It's just, it's shocking. It's really shocking that, that the depth was so was so poor and that they were not able to um, even in the last you know couple of years when they plugged in guys weren't even sort of even to me even seem like they're trending in the right direction. So that's what's actually even more disturbing. It's like you can't even say like well there's been a you know a rise and a fall and, and uh, over the last ten years where there's been moments where the line has been really good. I mean I, I you know it's been I don't think it's been ter- consistently terrible, but certainly last year. You know, we can talk about the Le'Veon Bell running issues and other things, but there was, you know, there was definitely Darnold was getting hit a lot more than I think we would want our franchise quarterback to get hit. And there was no, there was very few games, maybe one or two, where you could say that that the Jets controlled the line of scrimmage. I mean, I think almost all all games it was it was you know the opposite. They were not they were not in any way a factor in being able to uh, take control of the of the rhythm of the game in any sort of way. So. I'm hoping, praying that he's going to, between free agency and the draft, pour resources into that and to get that firmed up because 
to me, that's was the that was the you know the, in some ways the real fatal flaw of the team last year to um, to have such an incredibly poor poor line, uh, which, you know. And and uh, it's funny when Darnold did the, the podcast with with uh, with Sanchez, he was talking about how um, I guess during the Giant game he got he misread it uh, and he misread a, uh, a cover zero and got hit by I think he said that Jabril Peppers I think it was the Giants. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I uh, was kind of joking about how he was limping off the field because he got in the wind knocked out of him and stuff like that. And he was joking uh, to Sanchez that he had to go over to Dahl um, to the OC and just talk about how he had misread the coverage. But I'm, you know, this is the, this is the deal. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, one hit like that and your quarterback done. And that was, you know, he was sort of laughing about it, but I'm thinking, yeah, like, you know, one hit the wrong way like that when you don't have, you know, when you get someone gets a free run or two and you're, you're looking at a, a backup quarterback, which we don't want to think about. It sounds like you think the number one priority for the Jets in the offseason should be rebuilding that offensive line. Something that I agree with, by the way. What do you think the overall strategy should be from Joe Douglas in terms of free agency? We'll get to specific players later, but just from a general sense, what do you think he should try to do other than attempting to rebuild parts of the offensive line? Well, you know, the uh, for me... I'm it, that's that's one of the things that starts to, to rattle on my head about Robbie Anderson. I, I certainly think of Robbie Anderson as a guy like a Wayne Corbett type of person who comes in unheralded, given really no chance to make a roster and then to make plays and to be a, a difference maker. I mean, I, I think everyone who's a Jet fan is kind of used to being the underdog mentality anyway. It's not like our franchise has been, uh, you know, having been vast in glory for the last decade. You know, we sort of like the guys who can kind of out of nowhere can, can make a difference like that and really uh, establish themselves. And so I, I have an affection for Robbie Anderson. Um, on the other hand, you know, I try to be objective about it. Is he a true number one? Is he a dominant guy? I mean, I don't think he's a, he's a guy who you could say like can take over a game and he didn't. I mean, we know that there were games where he disappeared. And so, you know, the question is whether they want to spend money on, on keeping him around or get, try to get someone else off a of free agency. I mean, I would really like to see Darnold have a guy, you know, for lack of, I'll date myself with my reference. You're like, you know, a Des Bryant type of guy, a guy who you could kind of count on for eight to 10 catches a game, every game, kind of pencil that in knowing that, that he's going to be someone who's going to cause a lot of headaches for the defense. And they're going to have to game plan around trying to stop him. And I don't think Darnold has had a guy like that um, on the roster. I mean, we can go down the guys that he had his rookie year who are now, now departed and moved on to other teams, but you know, a Brandon, a Brandon Marshall or someone like that when, when Brandon was a, uh, had his uh, his amazing year with the Jets. I mean, someone like that, where the other teams are just like, this is this is a, a huge headache for us. That would be, to me, that would be a, a great a great person to plug in. Someone like that who can immediately come in and have to re recalibrate anyone's approach of trying to stop the Jets. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's get into more specifics now, and we'll start with the internal free agents. We know Robbie Anderson, Brian Poole, Jordan Jenkins, Kelvin Beecham are the big ones. There are a couple of others that are more minor free agents. But what do you think the Jets should do? Who do you want to bring back, and who would you say bye-bye to? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think for sure, I mean, Poole I, had a hell of a year. Um, he had a hell of a good year for the, for the Jets. I mean, think about uh, the difficulty we've had over the – I mean, <laughs> shall I shall – I, have to bring up uh, the Kyle Wilson and the finger wag. I mean, how difficult the Jets have had it over the last decade of kind of having a slot corner who you could really count on to be someone who could who could uh, be consistent. And Pool was Pool was great. I mean, off you know rushing and, and making plays. I would definitely think about bringing him back. I mean, Jordan Jenkins. I, I think I think Je- Jenkins has definitely been someone who has been improving. I don't know what kind of money he would want on the, on the market, and that's the type of the tough decisions that I would leave to the to the GM. I mean, but for sure, I mean, I think that uh, for me just to know what kind of um, difference maker pool was, and especially thinking about the fact that I'm, I feel certain that knowing how many different guys, Greg Williams had to trot out there, a cornerback, my God, over this, over the course of the year, it was like, like five different guys started, six different guys started a corner to have pool in there uh, pretty much week to week. I'm not sure. I don't think he missed any games due to injury. I could be wrong, but I mean, that's gotta be someone I'm sure he wants back too. I mean, I would, I would be shocked if he doesn't say that we got to get this guy back because he, he had to be a you know a big relief to Greg Williams to know that he could not have to like sweat sweat bullets over having Pool out there, you know, instead of somebody else who was much less uh, less talented. What about external free agents, Greg? I know you and I have talked a lot about the sack exchange and the need to add an edge rusher to a defensive line that I think has a chance to be really explosive. You've got Nathan Shepard going into his third year, and last year he really stepped up in terms of being able to get pressure. Quinton Williams is somebody that is poised to potentially break out and wreak havoc. And then, obviously, there are other guys on the line that aren't as good at pass rushing, but still very useful pieces, whether we're talking about Kyle Phillips, Foley Fadakasi, Steve McClendon, or Henry Anderson, so they've got their bases covered there, but they really could use some help with an exterior pass rusher, somebody from the edge, and of course when we talk about the sack exchange, the guy that would come to mind is Mark Gastineau, you go a little bit further down the line, you've got John Abraham, the Jets haven't had a player like that in a long time, is there anybody at pass rusher that you think could be impactful, maybe not as impactful as Mark Gastineau or John Abraham, but certainly more impactful than what the Jets have had? Anybody at corner? Maybe there are some specific players you'd like on offense. I know we talked a lot about the offensive line. What do you think? I, I tell you, I've been since I've been my head in this book so intensely trying to figure finish it. I've not been as as closely uh, following names and free agency, but I, I'll just you know I think that should be. I mean, obviously, a, a, the other massive priority for this team 
um, is edge rusher. I mean, we've been talking about this, you know, from when I first met you, we talked about it and it's like every year you have hope they're going to, they're going to get the guy. They're going to plug in there. And there's just never been the, the guy. And it's just, it's remarkable to think how long it's been since the Jets have had a, a, someone who's been in the top, the top 10 in sacks. And I, I don't know the, the number. That's why I wish Joe Blewett was here. He probably could tell me, but it's got to be forever. And so you, um, whoever Douglas thinks is the, the, uh, the person of free agency who's, who's going to be a, an effective edge rusher. I mean, cause personally I, I would, I would think that you'd want to build offensive line through the draft and really try to get some, some young guys in there, some young studs and just try to get somebody whoever's on, who out there who looks uh, like they could make a difference. It's, it's gotta happen because again, that's the other, to me, that's been the other thing is we've always had to manufacture the, the pass rush out of blitzing uh, Jamal or anything else. This has been kind of the, the, the big tell about the jet, the jet defense is that you just don't have, you don't, you know, you don't have somebody like that. And that's been, uh, that's anytime you watch playoff football and you watch other teams, it's, it's you know, watching the Rams a couple of years ago, you watch the chiefs. I mean, you just go through all these different teams and you're just like, yeah, <laughs> our, our pass rush looks nothing, nothing like that. The answer to the question of the last time that a jet had double digit sacks was Mo Wilkerson in 2015, not an edge rusher. And the last edge rusher to do it was that weird outlier year when Calvin Pace had 10 sacks. One of those weird years where he just barely got to the 10 sacks because of a variety of different circumstances. But the Jets haven't had an edge rusher who was capable of getting double-digit sacks on a regular basis since John Abraham. And by the way, this is not to say that sacks are the end-all, be-all. We're just using them to make an overall point that it's been a long time since the Jets have had somebody from that position that could really make an impact. There are a lot of good players in the offseason that they could add more so in free agency, I think, than the draft because this isn't a great edge rusher class. So curious to see who they end up adding there. And now I want to talk a little bit about the draft. We don't have to get into specific prospects yet, Greg, because it's still a little early in the process, Greg. The combine's over, but now everybody's going to start to sit down and really hammer out their grades. So you don't have to necessarily give me specific players, but as a general philosophy, what do you think the Jets should be looking to do in the draft? I know that it's a very, very rich draft in terms of wide receivers. Had a lot of misses over the last few years in terms of wide receivers. And, um, you know, cause we can kind of go through the, the, the usual suspect of people we kind of hoped we were going to turn into, turn into blue chip players. And it really, really didn't happen. And so, I mean, it's one of these things where you, you just hope you don't have a John Isdick situation where you have, you know, you're like, going through it like <laughs> everyone else around you is picking all pros and you managed to land on the one guy who led to that of the league in two years. But, uh, I, w- I would think that, yeah, I mean, the first couple of rounds, I think, like, obviously, offensive line and, and uh, wide receiver would seem to be the would be the, the things that you'd want, uh, if you were Joe, Joe Douglas, to kind of try to plug in. Those are two big needs, in my, my opinion. And it's, uh, it seems to be some really, really good prospects, especially, especially the top of the, the first round, it seems, especially with offensive line, it seems to be you could get somebody in where the Jets are picking who could really be a, a real stud. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. 
Let's talk about ownership a little bit because, Greg, since we have been Jets fans, the Jets have had three different owners technically. You had Leon Hess, and then when Leon Hess passed away, it was Woody Johnson who took over the team, and now Christopher Johnson is acting owner. Even though Woody is still technically the owner, Christopher Johnson is the acting owner, so we'll count him as well. What do you think of current ownership? Are you nervous about them going forward? I know that Joe Douglas has that six-year deal, so that would seem to cement that he should be able to do things his way, but we know that Woody has gotten involved at times. We know that Christopher has gotten involved at times, and that is part of what went wrong with this Le'Veon Bell thing because everyone knows Adam Gase didn't want Le'Veon Bell, but everybody also knows that Christopher Johnson did, so Le'Veon Bell was signed to appease the owner, a move that you and I both agree with, but... If you're going to sign a guy and give him all that money, you would hope that he would be used in the right capacity and certainly somebody that wouldn't be an afterthought in an offense, even if he's struggling running the ball because we know that he can catch the ball and make some things happen out of the backfield receiving or even lining up and running certain routes. That didn't happen, and it almost seemed like Adam Gase was trying to devalue Le'Veon Bell and sort of prove that he was right to not want him in the first place. So it makes you think about the disconnect there with ownership. Where are you at now with ownership? Are you concerned that as long as the Johnsons are in charge, the Jets are going to have trouble getting out of their own way? I tell you, the, the way that things went down with the firing of McCagan last year was was pretty... I mean, I guess there's two ways to look at it. I, you know, I have to tell you that my overall take on that was that it was, to, to, as we, I don't have to belabor the point, to let somebody conduct a draft and then fire the person seems insane. On the other hand, the flip side of that is to say, well, you know what, Chris Johnson and presumably maybe Woody through his conversations that we presume happened, um, saw that they had made a mistake, that it was not working and the relationship wasn't going to work with Gase and it just was not that uh, McCagnan was not getting the job done. And so they decided, okay, we're not going to just, just do the, quote unquote, the uh, conventional thing, which is to, you know, fire him at the end of the year, we'll fire him now. But, you know, and so you could say, well, at least they, you know, they had the, the, I don't know what the, the uh, balls for lack of a better term to pull the trigger and fire the guy. And then, but you know, that was, that was pretty, I don't know, I just pretty messy. And now I'll tell you if, uh, if we do have a, I know we don't do politics in the show, but we, if we do have a change in, in uh, party, control of the white house and and woody woody's coming home i don't again i you know how is that gonna to factor into it i mean we we i don't think anyone really knows for sure how much how much woody has ceded complete control to chris i mean i think the i think the speculation is that chris has has largely has control of the team but that he may talk to woody but nobody knows for sure I and mean, woody comes back it's like woody you know, is it going to be suddenly like a different owners kind of walked in the building in some sort of way maybe not completely but there's going to be you know it's a is the patience with Gase going to be shorter? Is it going to be longer? I mean, I don't know. That's all sort of a, a kind of a, a mystery. And if, if you remember, that was there was a lot of speculation about that when the Jets were looking for a coach. There was speculation that some candidates, which I maybe you know who knows if that's true or not, may, may be gun shy because of the unknown factor. Of like you you get hired by one owner, and then a year and a half later, two years later, you have a different owner who's taking over. So that's that's a whole whole different thing but uh you know I, I i think the other piece that is worth mentioning is that chris seems to be a guy that the players seem to really like from everything i've seen i mean i've, I've uh you only you know beyond the political stuff that's gone on the one i was kaepernick that, that chris johnson seems to be able to have navigated successfully by sort of you know getting the players to see that he had some sort of buy into their concerns about those types of issues and you know that that seems to be uh a uh 
uh, overall, I mean, a plus in terms of the way that you, uh, you want your owner to be able to not have sort of dissension in the locker room, really corrode that relationship with players. But, you know, I got to tell you, that was that the whole Adam Gase thing. I mean, it just, that was a big, I and mean, that was a pretty big red flag for me about how that all that was handled. And again, I, I you can certainly could sit there and give Chris the benefit of the doubt and say, well, look, he, he may have made a mistake, but he, he rectified the mistake and he moved decisively to try to fix the mistake that he saw was, was a, a big problem, but it's, uh, it, you know, it certainly didn't, uh, you know, on, I think on paper, anyone's going to say that that was a, that was a great thing that they did, that they, they kept the GM through the draft and then fired him and hired somebody, you know, after you already had a new coach and everything else. The Jets never do things the easy way, and they always make us scratch our heads to the point where most of us wanted Mike McCagnan fired, but even when it happened, they did it in such a way that many of us scratched our heads and said, huh, what? You let him spend all this money, and you let him go through the draft, and then you fire him? If you thought he was incompetent, why would you let him handle one of the most important off-seasons in recent Jets history? But that's just the way the Jets do things. I think we can both agree, Greg, that if the Jets are going to succeed, things can't continue to work that way. They've got to cede the power to Joe Douglas, let him do his thing, and hopefully he succeeds. Because as much as I think Joe Douglas has a resume that suggests he will do a good job, still an unknown right now. Totally. I mean, that's the other thing, too. I mean, we wanted to belabor that point either, but I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, he's, as we all know, been groomed for the job, has a great endorsement. But he doesn't have a track record. It's not like he's, you know, came into the obviously didn't come into the team with a Super Bowl ring that he, you know, built the team by himself or anything like that. You know, there's no, there's no way of knowing. I mean, we have no way to look judge him as a general manager. So this is we're going to see it in real time what ends up happening. And so let's all hope and pray. Six year contract, and uh, you know, I think the the good news, I guess, is that it was pretty much of a universally supported uh, and praised move that I I didn't see really anybody at all, any, any sort of uh, talking head analyst or anyone else insider saying, you know, they Joe, you know, a lot of Doug doubts about Joe Douglas. And I think that everyone saw he was the guy who was, who was really poised, one of the more the leading candidates to become a general manager. So from that standpoint, um, and I, I, you know, I always try to, again, parse that language. You hear people say it did not, doesn't sound like to me, like there's any doubts from Joe Douglas about Gates, but you know, that's just, you know, he may be again, uh, you know, very good at concealing that, but there was, even when the things were going bad, it seemed like he was uh, completely bought in. And so that's, and that's the way Darnold sounds too. I mean, Darnold sounds like that um, when you hear him talk about gay. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Indeed we will. And in fact, that's been the motto for Jets fans the last couple of years. We'll see. And then we cross our fingers. So hopefully this time we cross our fingers and get the results that we really want. Greg, before we run, I wanted to ask you about your book. You wrote about Ted Templeman. And I know that a lot of people who listen to Play Like a Jet are big fans of Van Halen. In particular, our mutual friend Ron Ferraro is a huge Van Halen fan. I know yeah. his son is playing Van Halen songs right now as he continues to progress learning the guitar. And there are plenty of others who we've interacted with who are big Van Halen fans. And it crosses over, and they're also Jet fans. So I want to ask you about Ted Templeman, who is the producer on a lot of Van Halen's biggest records. He's been the producer on some of the biggest records in rock history. You had the opportunity to talk to him for hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months and put together this book a really fascinating story i can't wait to read it myself 
But for anybody that is curious, why don't you talk a little bit about what's going to be in the book? Maybe give us a little bit of a tease of some of the fun stories that await. And talk to me a little bit about when the book's going to be available to order. And if you're going to be doing a book tour, I would love for you to come out this way because I actually haven't seen you. I think it's been about two years, right? The last time was summer two years ago that I saw you in person. So hopefully you're out on the East Coast so that I could at least get you to sign this thing in person. Yeah, it'll be fun. I, uh, Oh, let me start with the, with the, the uh, yeah the origins of the book. I did the I did the book uh, Van Halen Rising, and I interviewed Ted Templeman, who was an executive. He was the vice president at Warner Brothers Records, and uh, produced the first six Van Halen records. He also in in, uh, in 1978 was the uh, 77 was the guy who signed Van Halen to Warner Brothers. But uh, my interest in working with Ted on this book was about Ted's whole larger career beyond. Van Halen. Ted was a, a musician himself. He actually sang on a couple of pop hits in the '60s with his group, which was called Harper's Bazaar, which was a, a soft, it's kind of a soft pop group. And he ended up becoming an executive for Warner Brothers and then a record producer. And he he's the guy who found the Doobie Brothers and, and put them on uh, Warner Brothers and was there for the entire uh, string of huge hits for the Doobie Brothers. You know, Taken to the Streets, What a Fool Believes, China Grove, all those songs. Any song that you hear on the radio by the Doobie Brothers pretty much was a Ted Templeman production. He worked with uh, many, many, many big, incredibly important Rock and Roll Hall of Fame level artists from Aerosmith to Van Morrison to Little Feet to Carly Simon, Linda Ronstadt, and had a very long and distinguished career, maybe highlighted most of all by winning a Grammy in 1980. And, you know, so Ted, Ted's story and the way he tells the story of his uh, musical career, he really tries to take the, the reader, and I tried to work with him on this, inside the recording studio so you could learn about how some of your favorite records, things you've heard on the heard on the radio, maybe a song like uh, Wild Night by Van Morrison, how that record was recorded, those songs were recorded, and uh, Ted's, Ted's approach to making uh, making hits, how he tried to work with artists and coach them and collaborate with them and, and help them, you know, kind of shine in the spotlight. Sort of probably analogous to maybe a movie director or maybe a coach of a football team where you're just trying to put your the people you're working with in the best position they can to shine. And that's what a record producer does. And so it, it, it tracks that entire uh, time, go over all those records and also his, his rise through the industry to the very, very heights of his heights of his career until his, his exit from the, uh, from the scene in the late 1990s. So it was an honor to write it with them. He is a, a tremendously gifted uh, producer and somebody who had amazing stories to tell about, everything from he got to, to watch Frank Sinatra record some records in the sixties. He saw Elvis record just kind of being at the right place at the right time. And so had some great, great uh, music industry stories and the usual types of things you might imagine that, you, that go on in the, in that, that world. And so I was uh, just uh, excited to do it with them. It's been in, in the process of being written and with him, I wrote, started it 2016 really. And so it's just now coming out. And so it's, uh, it's been great in terms of, um, uh, promotion for the book. I'm going to have a book event with him, a book signing that's going to take place in Pasadena, California on April 23rd at a bookstore called Romans. I'll start be publicizing that pretty soon on my Twitter, which is uh, at Greg Renoff and on my Facebook and all the rest. And uh, yeah, I'm still finalizing the rest of the uh, appearances that will take place. The ones with Ted, with Ted uh, and I together will most likely all take place on the West coast. Uh, Ted, uh, Ted's based in Southern California. We'll probably stick fairly close to where he's at and do some stuff. Maybe Grammy Museum is, is something we're looking at doing. And then, uh, yeah, who knows? I, I'll, uh, I'll certainly range out uh, maybe without him and do a few events as well, maybe make it to the East Coast. But, um, yeah, it comes out April 21st. It's 
it's called Ted Templeman. So if you enter uh, that name, it's just like it's, it sounds Templeman into uh, Amazon, you'll see it and it's available for pre-order. It'll be out April, April 21st. And uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. And I'm just uh, thrilled to give people an opportunity to kind of to look at a different era and a different uh, side of, uh, of uh, rock history from the other side of the, the glass in the studio rather than having the artist be the center necessarily. It's the guy who sort of helps the artist shine on record. That's going to be a fantastic week for Jets fans because Tuesday, April 21st, they'll have the opportunity to purchase your book and support their fellow Jets fan. Then on Thursday, the NFL draft begins, April 23rd. So there you go. There you go. Terrific week for Jets there you go. fans. You're burned out on all your, your mock drafts. Read there the books for two days and blow through it in two days and then write a great review on Amazon. We'll, we'll all be happy. You take a little bit of a break from your draft mania or even just buy Greg's book. And by the time it gets shipped to you, the draft will be over. You'll be burned out from your mock drafts and everything. You'll know who the Jets have and then you can get to reading Greg's book. But it will be available the week of the draft. So I highly recommend yeah. ordering it. Greg's told me some stories from the book that sound absolutely amazing. And Ted Templeman is an incredible subject for him to be writing about. So make sure that you go to Amazon or anywhere where you buy books and pre-order it. Make sure that you get it in time for the NFL draft because then also if the Jets don't do what you want in the draft, you can drown your sorrows in Greg's book. So make sure that you go ahead and order it right now on Amazon. Greg, as always, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. I know you're going to be busy with book promotion, but hopefully you'll make a few minutes for me here and there as we get ready for the NFL draft. We're going to have plenty of coverage coming up here on the podcast. And don't forget... As always, I have to remind you, if you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. It helps us out a lot, and it doesn't take much effort. It takes you very little time, costs you no money, but it helps a ton. So if you go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. It's an easy way to help out the show. And if you haven't had an opportunity to subscribe to the brand new podcast, Badlands, with Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers, I suggest you go ahead and do that, too. It's a fantastic 10-part look at the Jets' decade of sadness, I guess you could call it, how the Jets got where they are, how they can get out of this hole, and finally point in the right direction. A cavalcade of fantastic guests. Alex Jimo, who was the team reporter in 2016, was on. She told an incredible story about Woody Johnson, who we talked about earlier. Chase Stewart from Football Perspective. Matt Miller from Bleacher Report. Sam Monson from PFF. Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. Manish. So many fantastic guests were on this podcast series. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe to it yet, go ahead to Podbean. Or you can get the info at jcaparoso on Twitter or at Connor J. Rogers. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, there's only one place to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.